Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Coming up on episode 235 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Jaguar F-Type Convertible, the Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross, the Nissan Sentra, driving on ice, paying over MSRP for car, for new cars, Nissan's new EVs, fake manual transmission for Toyota EVs, the Chevy Silverado and, and the chief engineer on the Silverado, and all that and more coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Episode 235 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Gruel Samich from Guidehouse Insights. I am Nicole Wakelin from True Car. And I am Roberto Baldwin from Engadget. I couldn't think of where, when you when you paused, that made my brain. Like, I froze your brain too. It was a, <laughs> a like, mutual wait, brain freeze. Got to think of a name. <laughs> well, now that now that you're rolling, um, yes. why don't you go ahead and start us off, Robbie? Oh, oh, okay, cool. So I drove the 2022 Jaguar F-Type convertible rear-wheel drive roadster thingamajiggy. Uh, that's its official name, thingamajiggy. Um, I'm going to. <laughs> it is a. Uh, it, it, uh, so I. It is a fun car. See, my I have this. I still have this problem in my brain about Jaguar, as, especially as someone who owns a Jaguar. Is it is that for 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 decades it was this very almost stodgy brand, like yes. very British. And, and and then I got into this and I expected this very, very beautiful, but kind of stodgy, you know, roadster. And no, it was, it was actually really fun. It's, it's, it's for the person who wants to upgrade from the Miata and, and look a little bit different and doesn't quite want a Boxster or doesn't want, you know, they want something, they, they want a convertible, they want, um, performance, they want fun, um, but they want to be a little bit different, and that's what the uh, the F-Type uh, P450 um, rear-wheel drive convertible is. Um, it is you, you you're you know when when you're when you're when you're battling up against Porsche, uh, that's a tough that's a tough sell. Uh, <laughs> you know, with the with the MSRP of seventy three thousand um, dollars. But I think there are people who. You know, they want something a little different. It's 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 not quite as nice or refined as a Mercedes. It's not quite as as um, fun on the road as a Porsche, which is again that's that's such a that's such a high bar really for for anyone. But having said that, it is an, a, a, a lot more fun than I anticipated. Driving it around, uh, it has a, a lot more. Uh, kick than I anticipated. Everything about it was more than I expected, which is always a nice sort of thing when you get into a car, because 
I'll get into a car. I think a lot of people will get into a car with some expectations of what that automaker has been doing. And then when those expectations are sort of exceeded, it's it's always a, a fun little surprise. I actually like this car a lot. I know people who, um, if they had the money, would buy this car over um, something from Mercedes or Porsche or, you know, a Corvette or whatever. Um, just because it is a Jaguar, just because it is different, it is a really pretty car. It is very pretty. Uh, the front end looks extremely aggressive, um, without looking like it's going to stab you. Uh, I think, <laughs> you know, you know where it's like it's like uh, too many it, angles. You're like, oh, I'm afraid of my own yeah, car. Exactly, yes. exactly. <laughs> the, the the Type R, the 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 old Type R. That that's what that was. It felt it was aggressive, but also it was going to you know. I, I think I've written this down somewhere um, in an article where it would take you into a back alley and 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 cut you for your lunch money. Um, <laughs> The the F type is not that it is is a lot more smooth, but it is very it's aggressive. It's fun to drive. It has a five liter supercharged uh, V8, um, 444 horsepower, 428 pound feet of torque. Um, it has a uh, five speed um, automatic transmission. It has to get the little you know the paddle shifters, and it is rear wheel drive, which is always you know if you're getting a, a roadster or a sports car, rear wheel drive is always you know that's that's what you want. Um, it's always the superior all, architecture. It is. It is the superior architecture. I'm a huge fan of all-wheel drives because I love Subaru. Uh, I love WRXs, which is what I'm, I'm driving right now, and I'll talk about next week. Um, and I'll probably gush the entire time, um, <laughs> which I don't think is fair because I am just a big uh, WRX and STI fan. So that I would gush every, over that too. It's fair. Gush over it next week. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, it's it it is a it, it was comfortable inside. It had nice sports seats. They were comfortable. It was fun to drive. Um, it gets a, a whopping uh, uh, EPA uh, combined 19 uh, miles per gallon. Um, I got about 17, what was it, 17.7. Um, and that's because I was driving it like it's a two-seater <laughs> roadster. Yeah. Um, and then would go on, you know, a long drive to go and pick up something or, or, or you know, to drive somewhere where I could drive uh a little quicker than I would on a freeway, um, but it, yeah, no, I, I, I actually really liked it. The uh, the version I had um, had a uh, what was it? A interior luxury pack, which was two thousand dollars. That's the most expensive sort of thing, and it had illuminated med- metal tread plate. You know, the little thing when you mm-hmm. get in your car that it lit up. Um, extra leather and some cab ex- premium cabin lighting, which I'm just like, mm, I don't think you probably need that. Uh, <clears throat> But it, yeah, no, it's it's a it's it's. This a, is why we have a chip shortage. Yeah, yeah, because we're putting yeah, like, all this the, we're putting all this you know custom you know ambient Weird. lighting and illuminated. It's all because of plates. ambient lighting. All, all sixty-four all, colors of it, depending yeah. on the car. All, all yeah. that stuff is controlled by chips. That's true. Everything needs a chip. It, like the, the I love the the Mercedes interior where you can like make the color anything. I always make it look like the pepper mill in Las Vegas, which what is what is this the pepper mill? The pepper mill is this very. Is this diner in Las Vegas at the sort of the end of the strip before the, and it is great because they will give you a giant plate of food like nachos. Yes. It's 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 okay. a little, it's a nicer it's nicer than let's say Mel's Diner or Denny's. It's it's should a I be class. adding this to my list you of things I should experience to, in Las Vegas I love next time the a drive meal. program takes me is there? It, is this near if the you are uh, a, near the Sahara? Uh, it's on the strip. Or, it's or near the, the Mexican. The it's near the Mexican food place. It's 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 at the very end. Like it's okay. north, the north end of the strip. Yeah. Okay. Um, the pepper mill. I love the pepper mill. Anyway, so the one I drove today, uh, I drove uh, last week was eighty four thousand three hundred fifty dollars, which is a lot of money for a uh, car, just in mm-hmm. general. 
Um, but is <laughs> yeah, it is just it, a lot uh, of money. Period. Yeah, just it's a just lot a of lot money, of money. Period, it, yeah. it, but it, you know, it is a Jaguar, so you know, JLR. It's going to be expensive anyway. Um, again, if you're uh, someone who, who who likes the idea of Miata, but you want to be fancy and you want to be different, this is probably the the car you're looking for. Um, there are other cars that have a little bit more power in this price range. There are other cars that have probably a little bit nicer interior in this range, but you're going to look like the everyone Porsches else. are a dime a dozen. Yeah, Porsches <laughs> are a dime a dozen. That's you don't that, see F types everywhere. You don't see F types everywhere. That's true. F type is just I, a sexy little car. It is. Mm-hmm. It's so pretty. Like it I, really I don't see is. a lot of X types. You know, I got the X version of that, which is <laughs> like X, like don't do it, but. <laughs> <laughs> the F type, F type X, don't do it. F type, fantastic, fantastic little uh, um, uh, roadster, um, rear wheel drive, put the top down. I don't know, midlife crisis mobile. <laughs> midlife crisis mobile. <laughs> I think about midlife crises a lot because I'm like, oh wait, I'm old. I should be having a midlife crisis, and I realize everything I'm doing now, I was doing in like my late twenties, early thirties. I'm like, well. Nothing's I've changed. Just, I've been having a midlife crisis since I was a teenager. Aww. There you go. <laughs> All right. Midlife call. Yeah. So you? I have um, the same car I had kind of when I spoke to you last week. I had two, and I had a Nissan Sentra that I thought I was only having for a hot minute. And they're like, no, 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 no. You actually have this for a whole week. So lo and behold, still have the Nissan Sentra parked in my driveway. So a little – I talked about it before. Have so- its terms worn off on you yet? It is charms have not worn. You know, it's still a charming little car. The, I still think it's a little bit loud. Um, like on highway driving, there's there's a, there's a good bit of road noise and wind noise. It's not a quiet sedan. But How's is, the stereo? Is the stereo good? The stereo. It does have a good stereo. There you Where go. did just, that come from? Just turn just, that volume up a little. Turn, you don't, in fact, it's on my handy noise. dandy list of things I wanted to mention. This one has an upgraded stereo. It has a Bose uh, stereo system. I forgot how many speakers. I wrote it down. Eight-speaker Bose premium audio system. It's actually really good audio. It's, it's, it really is nice. So I like the audio system. So, yeah, you just turn that up and you don't notice the fact that there's wind and noise all around you outside. Um, and it's not so noisy that, like, you can't carry in a conversation with whoever's next to you or in the back seat. It's not like driving, you know, something like a Bronco or a Wrangler, which truly, like, the noise. But um, but it is – I mean, but you do, you do notice it if you're looking for a super – quiet highway cruiser this is not the car but it is very comfortable um it gets good fuel economy so it's rated for 28 city 37 highway um for a 32 combined i was on the money at 37 exactly which was mostly highway driving but i did have some city driving in there and some of my driving was during really terrible road conditions where there was you know, just it's slushy and icy and you're not getting it's not the best kind of stuff Right at 37. So I was kind of impressed. So if you want to, you know, I'm like, okay, that, that bodes pretty well for what you're going to get overall. So I thought that was pretty good. Um, and this one had, this is the, had the, um, has a CVT that's relatively quiet. It's not too annoying. It's not going to drive you nuts. You're not going to hear droning. I like that because you have enough wind and road noise happening. Um, what else did I say here? I thought couple big things. So there's the center console where you flip it open. Sometimes those are super shallow and you can't even get like, if you want to toss your phone in there or you want to toss something in, there is no room gotta, for anything. You got to put it yeah. like sideways and then right. it doesn't close do all the way. Side- You're like, wow. Yeah. Right. It's like, you can't get it closed all the way. So, and I now, because it's COVID time, I have a little 
thing that I take with me and it has my easy pass, my garage door opener and like five different masks in there. So if I'm someplace that requires masks and I have people that don't have them, I always have some masks. So it's my Look little pouch. You. Yeah, like I'm all sorts of The mask mom. Right? So I have, and it fits in there entirely and I can put my phone in there and I can put my wallet in there and I can shut the whole thing. I thought that was kind of good because then if you want to leave stuff in there, you don't feel like it's just sitting out like on top of it. But if you do want your phone to be like more or something to be an easy access, it does have a nice little bit of storage like in front of that center console. Like there's two cup holders and there's a spot you can easily like set a large, good sized phone in there. So I appreciated the little bit of extra storagey bits that they put in the front. I thought that was pretty good. I also liked, and I think this was probably part of the package um, there's an SR premium package and I'm thinking this is it, but they have, yeah, it says Prima Tech's appointed seat trim. So it has fancy seat trims, but there's like a little sort of like straight detail that goes along the back of the seat, like, um, vertically it's in the center of the seat and it gives a little visual pop. Like I like it when there's some little accent, when you open a car, I mean, it, leather seats are cool, whatever, but when there's something like there's a little, little bit of color, trim, part, little something, something. Yeah. That's part of the SR trim level, right? I, yeah, I'm on the SR trim and I'm looking, there's an S, yeah, it says the SR premium package and on here it says Primatex appointed seat trims. It doesn't talk specifically about this fancy little stripe, but I'm betting it's a part of that. Um, and it does make a big difference. It, does, it actually adds a little like visual like pop. It, it looks nice. Um, total cost on this one, it's $27,200 the way that it came equipped to me. Um, I mean, it feels like a $27,000 car. I don't think it's overpriced, underpriced. It's like sort of like, yep, that feels just about right for this. Like right where it belongs. You just cruise right in there you're just a couple thousand under 30. Um, so I, overall, I like this. I, I think Nissan makes a decent car. I mean, their, their trims are, they never get too fancy. They're never so basic. that They feel like you're driving like a rental special. And I feel like they're, they're a nice middle of the Even road. if you are in fact driving a rental special. Even if you are in fact driving a rental special, which on occasion I have had a Nissan rental special, but even then though, when they are, they never feel like horrifically plastic fantastic inside i think they do a good job of avoiding that even when the trims aren't premium trims on the lower price trim um you know models and trim levels so um yeah so that was my thoughts on ye oldie uh nissan Sentra that i've now had for longer than i thought i would the only other thing i noted on here that has really cool black alloy wheels the wheels are nifty but now they are kind of white alloy wheels because salt and february in new hampshire Man, yep. I don't know how you people drive cars into salt like that. I have a quick question about the the Sentra. So um, I am no. a big fan of the Nissan Kicks. That is yes. my favorite. That is my favorite Nissan. Well, how would you how would you rate it up against the Kicks? Um, it's more it's more responsive than the Kicks. The Kicks mm. is you know it's super fun. I love the Kicks. It's really uh, cute. I like it, but it's not. This is a little bit more oomph to it. It is a little smoother. The ride. I don't know that it's quieter. I feel like the Kicks is particularly... the college student, and the, the yeah. Sentra is like. Your first like job. You graduated and you, you graduated actually got a job that's in your you degree. Got a job, yeah, and you're you're like you're starting out as that, you know. Yes. No, I think it's it's in line with the kids. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, right. But it's 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 a little nicer than that. Little, it's a little comfier than that. It's got a little smoother than ride. I like the kicks. Um, I think it's a great college kid car. I think it's a good, but I feel like this is like you graduated college and you got your job and now you're going to go for you're going to go for the Sentra. You feel and, you feel embarrassed telling your do, your your boss what cars are? Oh, mine's the Kicks. They're like the what? They're like what? Is that really a car? Or is that a bicycle? No, it's a car. It's called. You know, the and, Kicks. and then the te- then the the boss says, you know, in my day, that's what we called shoes. And then it was, <laughs> but um, bum. 
Well, my daughter drives a rogue, um, a rogue sport. So that's, so that's her college kit car. She got a fancy Well, because you know what, what was it I was looking for? There was something that it, she had to have automatic emergency braking and I wanted all wheel drive. I think the kicks is not all wheel yeah, drive. The, kick, the yeah, kicks is front drive only. I believe that's where we lost the kicks. Cause my first thought was kicks. And then I thought, wait, cause she's in Milwaukee in the city. You need all wheel drive for the snow that they don't plow when they have it. So, okay. um, so yeah, Word. otherwise kicks was going to be the first choice. Yeah, and you know the the kicks, uh, you know, shares its platform. Actually, the the, the Sentra, the Versa, and the Kicks all share the same basic platform. <clears throat> platform, but the uh, the Kicks and the Versa both have smaller. I think it's one point six liter four cylinder, whereas the Sentra is a two liter. So it's yes. got a little more power. Got a little more oomph. Yeah. Oompapa. All right, um, and and you know, for those that are on a budget, you know, I'm just looking at the the Nissan website. You can actually get the the Sentra starting at just over twenty grand for the base S model. And even with that, you get a touchscreen radio with Android Auto and Apple CarPlay support. Um, you know, it, it, it has the same engine that's in the SR. It just doesn't have all the other nice fancy features bits. that are on there. Yeah, so. You don't need the fancy bits. You can plug your phone in. You got a nice, in, you got a pretty good yeah. engine. You, you, you got a little bit of road noise, but you know what? Just turn it up, turn up stereo. Turn up the fancy stereo and then you don't have to deal with it. Or get some noise canceling earbuds. Yeah. Yeah. No, don't don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Not supposed to drive that way. I remember trying to drive with. You couldn't wear headphones back in the day. You probably still can't, right? But I used to hang them over the side, the rearview mirror, and just turn things up really loud so I could hear what I wanted to hear back before my when I had no stereo at all in my car in college. <laughs> oh, that was my wow. solution, and blast it through the little headphone. I'm like, I'm not wearing headphones. them. I, yeah. I I'm no, not breaking a rule. You know. They're just very very small speaker drivers. Very sweet. Yeah, but you know, it was better than nothing. Or AM radio. I mean, Ooh. really. Uh, <laughs> you're definitely better off hanging your, your headphones over your Exactly. Ear. All right. Uh, well, I had have um, the Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross, um, which, you know, when this thing came out a couple of years ago, a lot of people were a little bit upset about the name because, you know, Eclipse. It's not an Eclipse. No. And mm. you know, going back 30 plus years you know ago when I graduated from college you know the the Eclipse was new back then you know and it was you know this pretty cool little sport coupe that uh, Mitsubishi developed uh, in cooperation in partnership with uh, what was then known as Chrysler um, and there was the Eclipse there was the Eagle Talon and the uh, uh, the Chrysler Laser versions of it uh, they were all they were all the same car and it was you know it was a pretty cool car and it was one of the ones that got that I had on my short list of what to buy after I graduated, um, you know, uh, along with the, the five liter LX Mustang and the Miata. Um, but you know, I, I, I actually did get to spend a lot of time with the Eclipse back in those days because when I went to work after graduation, I was working at GM, <clears throat> working on ABS for the Lotus Elan, uh, at, uh, at GM's Milford Proving Grounds. And we had an Eclipse that we were using as our competitive benchmark. Uh, for the ABS system against that, because it was similar in performance to the Lotus. Um, and so I spent quite a bit of time driving that Eclipse, and it was a lot of fun. This one? Um, so it, it, it's a, <laughs> <laughs> a compact crossover. This, this um, one? It's called an Eclipse. Um, it, it's actually, it, it's, not, it's not a bad car. It's, it's, a, it's a good, basic, um, small crossover. Uh, I don't know that it you know, should be called an Eclipse, but, you know, that's marketing. Um, but it, it's a decent little compact crossover. Um, the one I have uh, is the top of the line SEL 
Um, they all come for 2022. They got uh, a slight design refresh, um, new the new front fascia. Um, they have they all come standard with a 1.5 liter turbocharged four cylinder, which by by the standards of of the you know of what's available out there in 1.5 liter turbos, it's a little on the low side. Um, we have a 1.5 liter turbo in our Civic that is 174 horsepower. This one's 154 horsepower, uh, but it's not bad. It's got it's got decent torque, 180 some foot pounds of torque, um, and it it it's only available with a CVT, uh, as is unfortunately increasingly becoming the case. You know, in the lower ends of the market, um, it's uh, it, it's it's a decent looking design. Uh, you know, it's it's for, it's like I said, it's compact. Uh, it's got a more not quite coupe-like profile to it, but, you know, it's got that, that forward slanting rear glass, so it's not quite uh, like what you would get, you know, say a, a, a Tesla Model Y or BMW X4 kind of shape to it, but kind of leaning in that direction, um, and especially in the, the blue color that's on the one that I'm driving, I, I, I really like the, the, the blue, this bright blue, you know, definitely we need more more vibrant colors, more bold colors on cars. Um, the Eclipse Cross. Orange. I want them all to be orange. I yeah. like that orangey Ooh, thing that's happening yeah. right now. I really want them all to be orange, but I want a lot more orange cars. I like that. Yeah. But I want, I want a variety yeah. of colors. I want a rainbow of colors. A rainbow. Colors. Skittles. All the cars. Yeah. 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 We want reds and yellows and oranges and greens. Just bold colors. No more gray and silver and white and black. Uh, no more monochromatic cars. No, they're boring. Uh, and that may turn, you know, something we'll talk about later uh, may help to push that trend forward. But um, right now, uh, you know, the, the Eclipse uh, starts at $23,700. Uh, the one I'm driving, the SEL model, uh, came out to $34,075, including the $1,200 destination charge. Um, this one, as I said, is pretty loaded. Uh, it has, um, it's got the panoramic glass moonroof. <clears throat> the, uh, oh, it's lightning blue metallic is the, the color. Uh, it's got full suite of ADAS, uh, so um, adaptive cruise control, lane, keep, lane keeping assist, blind spot monitors, all that good stuff. Um, it has uh, multiple modes for the, all, this one's all wheel drive. Uh, so there's a snow mode, which came in handy over the last couple of days uh, to give you a little more traction when you're trying to get through uh, residential streets that haven't been plowed yet. Um, to to get your snowblower to the shop to get it fixed after it died on you partway through clearing your driveway. Oh, oh. awesome! But I got the snowblower fixed for about fifty bucks uh, instead of paying four or five hundred dollars or more for like the one or two snowblowers that were left at uh, Lowe's uh, in stock. Uh, so I should be good for another fifteen years now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fifty bucks, fifteen—that's that's value. Yeah, I mean, I've been using this snowblower for like 15 or 17 years, something like that. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> enough of that divergence. Uh, you get LED <laughs> headlamps, uh, fog lights on this thing. Um, it drives. It drives pretty decent. Uh, it's got good, decent ride quality. You know, it's it's not going to, you know, thrill you like the F-Type will in terms of its acceleration performance, <laughs> no. but it's adequate. <laughs> Not I'm as, shocked by that, Sam. Not Utterly as fun shocked. as the F-Type. That's, no. that's their that's their tagline. And, <laughs> and the, the CVT control is not as nice as what Nissan does with their CVT control. It definitely feels more like a CVT. You get more of that 
motorboating effect, uh, especially if you're trying to accelerate hard and use all 154 of those horsepowers. But, um, you know, if you're driving it more sedately, it's fine. It's adequate. Uh, you know, it's, it's well put together, uh, decent materials inside. It, it doesn't feel cheap. Uh, so I think, you know, it's, Mitsubishi is making progress. They're, 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 you know, getting to be more and more competitive, uh, all the time. And, you know, when they, if and when they finally get around to replacing the Mirage with, with something that's a little more up to date, then I think, I think they'll, you know, they may even survive. They may even thrive, uh, in the marketplace. We'll see. Uh, but for now, the, uh, the Eclipse Cross SEL, um, one thing that is a little disappointing in this one, it's um, rated at 25 miles per gallon city, 26 highway, 25 combined. Um, I've only been getting uh, a little less than 19 with it, uh, which is for you know, a small crossover is not great. But uh, this is, you know, it's also been a very cold week. Um, temperatures often, you know, in the, the low teens or less uh, the past week and trudging through the snow. So that is going to degrade your fuel economy. But even that 25 combined for a vehicle this size is not that, not that inspiring. Uh, I'd like to see, you know, something closer to 30 at least for, for a car this size. Um, but aside from that, you know, the rest of it, it, it's a, it's a very nice compact crossover, um, that you can get, you know, at a, at a pretty reasonable starting price. What what if 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 Mitsubishi were to come out to like sort of really jump into the market? What Halo car do you think they should bring back? The Lancer or the Eclipse? I think I they can w- bring back the Eclipse now because they brought it back with the wrong. The yeah. Eclipse Cross will really <laughs> confuse people. I, like I would, super confused. I would, I would like to see them uh, bring back uh, an electric Lancer, an electric yeah. Lancer Evo. Mm. Yeah, see that would be okay. Fun. It's right there, EV. Oh, and they could have EV and then a little O. Yeah. Just do some weird, uh, weird capitalization of the letters. Perfect. Yeah. There you go, Mitsubishi. Send us. You can send your check to uh, Wilbur. <laughs> care of Roberto Baldwin's. Pa- uh, uh, yeah, an ele- electric Lancer Evo, I think would would be pretty cool. That would be pretty dope. But uh, that would be pretty. Yeah. Neat. So that's the that's the 2022 Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, uh, let's get into uh, some of the other items for this week. <clears throat> um, something that uh, you remembered last week, Robbie, while we were recording, and I made a note of, uh, ice driving. You got to do some ice driving recently. I did. I, I jumped into a plane. I flew to Steamboat <laughs> Springs, Colorado. I jumped out of the plane, and then I jumped uh, into an Wait, NSF. did you jump out was, of was the plane deep enough before to you? Yeah, did you jump out of the plane while it was in the sky, or did you just, like, uh, you jump out? You know what? Out? It, while it's landing, if you jump out as long as you roll... It's good. good. Just okay. roll, roll. Hit Noted. the ground and roll. Hit the ground and roll. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all you really need to, to, to do when, you, when, you're, uh, when, when you're jumping out of a plane. Uh, yeah, so, so the next time the flight attendant tells me to get away from that door, I said, it's all right. I'm going to roll like, when it's I It's fine. Jump. I'm going to roll. We're all good. And then the, the flight attendant will be like, all right, cool. <laughs> She'll be like, fine. Oh, have at it, dude. Yeah, oh, you, you know what you're doing. You know what's up. You know what time it is. Go for it. Knock yourself out. See you, uh, see you at the Wetzel's Pretzels. Um <clears throat> 
Uh, so uh, yeah, so I, I I went to and um, there were some Acuras there, and we were driving on Bridgestone tires, and um, you know I don't live where it snows. I live in Northern California, uh, by the ocean, by the bay. It doesn't snow here, but I do uh, on occasion go up to Tahoe to go snowboarding. Um, and for years, when I was uh, a very hardcore snowboarder, I would I had all seasons on my WRX, and it was fine. I uh, went out to Steamboat Springs, and apparently in the last 10 years or so, uh, all seasons have gotten way better because uh, I drove an NSX on all seasons, an NSX, you know, the Acura supercar, on, mm-hmm. with all seasons on four inches of ice, and it did really well. I mean, it's not, and they weren't winter tires, which I also got to try, but they are very, very nice. So, yeah, if you're the, if it's, so I don't, uh, hold on, uh, just before you go on. Four inches of ice. I'm assuming that that there was solid ground underneath that ice, not not just a frozen lake, right? Yeah, there's some ground somewhere. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, it wasn't on the lake. No, because the, the, it's 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 a um, their course has uh, inclines, so you so they had us braking like on a downhill, and then they had a um, a skid a skid pad, but the skid pad was at like an angle, like a probably about twelve degree angle. So as you're coming down the bottom. <laughs> you're like also not just sliding because you're sliding there. You're also sliding because now you're you're working against gravity and just sliding <laughs> off into the. <laughs> um, so yeah, so they had a they had us drive around the NSX uh, rolling on all seasons, um, and it did really well uh, considering like what what we were trying to make the the vehicle do. Um, I did hit a cone. I did a, <gasps> at one point. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I I I break. Uh, I break too late and this is i mean this is my own fault because what happens is when someone's telling me how to do something i think too much about how to do it but if i just do it then it works um back to the snowboarding thing if i think about snowboarding while i'm snowboarding i fall down but if i snowboard it's fine <laughs> sorry <laughs> like what's the equivalent of like when you're walking up the stairs and if you think about walking up the stairs you like stumble you're like you'll, you'll like yeah. hit the little like edge of the stair yeah, of, yeah. you're like oh step. god yeah. i shouldn't have paid attention i should just keep letting yeah. my just go yeah that's how that's how my brain works so uh so <laughs> i i braked i i hit the brakes too late i turned too much and i went plunk but uh <laughs> If I, but if it if it had been on like some old all seasons or just regular tires, I would just slid into the embankment. So, uh, so yeah, no, you can. And then they had us do hot, you know, they they did a hot lap with us with the driver, um, with the NSX, just flying around the corners and getting sideways. And because everyone loves a good hot lap. Uh, yeah. If you don't know what a hot lap is, is when a professional driver driver just goes crazy while you're in the passenger seat of a car on a track. And you get to just hold on for dear life and giggle the whole time or scream, you know, whatever, you know. However giggle. You I like to giggle. I giggle I like, like an giggle. idiot. I try to be like, I'm going to be all cool. And then I'm just giggling cool. like I'm 12. I can't. <laughs> You're just like, yay. Uh, <clears throat> um, for the EV tires, they had us, uh, they had us on the, uh, the, the Acura MDX, their, their little uh, mid-sized crossover. Um, and they get, they let us drive it with all seasons and with their Blizzak. Uh, winter tires. I love the name Blizzak, by the way. It's not new. The it's best. been around since the 90s, but it's the greatest name ever given to any tire ever. Ever. Blizzak. Blizzak. Um, I have Blizzaks because I love them. They're amazing. Was, I like them. It was incredibly impressive how nice those winter tires were. Um, and when, you know, when, with the, the difference between winter tires and, let's say, summer tires. Summer tires, you get in the car and you have to warm them up to sort of to get them to, to, to not be as hard. 
Well, if you have this hard compound and you try to do that, hard compound on ice is just like a recipe for disaster. Um, don't ever drive with summer tires in, in mm -mm. the snow or the ice because you'll you'll have a bad time. Well, you probably won't go anywhere. You just slide into the, the ditch next to your driveway and you, that'll be the end of it. I had um, a, one, They gave me a press car with summer tires once in the winter and it was snowing and I didn't know it. <laughs> so I get in and drive it. I literally, I'm just in my little neighborhood and I turn the wheel and the car just keeps going straight. I'm like, what? What's happening? And it literally just... Not like I had done nothing. Just, yeah. So don't for, do that on purpose, time, people. Yeah, for, first time I ever had a, a mini for a review. Uh, it was a John Cooper Works. And it was delivered to me the first week of December on summer tires. And a couple of days into the, the loan, we had a bunch of snow. And I could not get up the hill in my <laughs> neighborhood. I, I, I got halfway up the hill. And the car kept slowing down and slowing down. And finally, halfway up, it came to a stop and would not go any further. And so <laughs> like I had to I back down and go around a different way. Uh, so so that's, that's what summer tires are. So they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're a very hard compound when they're, when they're cold. Uh, they, they, they sort of uh, they loosen up when they get warm. And then they add grip onto asphalt. <laughs> um, winter tires kind of have to do the opposite. They have to stay – they have to be um, – they can't be hard when it's cold. They still have to stay very uh, squishy and squishy. That's a good word. How's Lucy, that? Lucy, squishy. Pliable. Pliable. There we I go. That's a real squishy better. They're squishy. Squishy is a good word, but pliable is probably something that an engineer Fine. Would come up be an thinks. engineer, Sam. Whatever. <laughs> um, and then they have the, the the tread, which they call snipes, which is a fun word. Um, but when you have a nice pliable uh, rubber, it makes all the difference in the world. And they have this. They have. And, you know, and I learned that uh, this, that ice is um, – the roads are the slickest around the temperature of freezing, around 32 degrees, a little bit above and a little bit below because there's also water on the ice, which creates uh, a, a, a slicker uh, experience. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. so, so, yeah. So you might think, well, <clears throat> it's only 32. It's not going to be as bad as if it were negative 10. Nope. That's the opposite. It's it's actually worse because you have the water sliding on top of the on top of the ice. It's like when you drop a piece of ice on the ground, and at first it, you can it'll kind of slide, but then as it melts, it just slicks. Every time we try to move it, it just slides everywhere. It's that. Um, so yeah. So I, my 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 whole thing was uh, when I went there was I kind of wanted to talk about them with EVs and tires because EVs usually are typically uh, shipped with these high efficiency, low rolling resistance uh, uh, tires. If you live somewhere where it's insanely cold, if you live in Canada, uh, the northern part of New Hampshire, uh, California, New Hampshire, New Hampshire um, you might want to, you know, swap out those tires. You know, you're going to lose some range, uh, but you're going to have all this extra safety, which is which is a good deal. And, and winter tires have gotten so much better. And I talked to them. They're, they're so much better over the last like 10, 15 years. All seasons, the same thing. Um I did talk to them, and this is an argument I have with people all the time because everyone's like, well, if you have all-wheel drive, it's fine. I'm like, well, not really uh, because all-wheel drive is great for acceleration, um, it's, but it's not going to help you turn. <laughs> and <laughs> or stop. I was talking – or stop. Yeah. And so, uh, turn or, exactly, turn or stop. And I was talking to them. We're like, yeah, we had a thing where we – I forget the vehicle, but they, uh, I think it was uh, ambulances, and they were bringing them out, and they had um, front-wheel drive and all-wheel drives, and they put the uh, winter tires on them, and the uh, front-wheel drives actually did better than the all-wheel drives. So, you know, if you have good tires, always it's, it's really down to the, having the proper tires for the environment over, um, 
all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive. And I, I, I am a big, I love all-wheel drive vehicles. Again, WRX. Um, but at the same time, I, I understand that uh, if I had a front-wheel, you know, my Kona, if I put some winter tires on my Kona, I'd be doing great. Well, my, my daughter bought a Toyota, Toyota 86 last year. And um, I convinced her to get uh, a set of winter tires uh, for it. Uh, she previously had spent the last dozen years driving a Honda Fit on all-season tires. And the first time she tried the, the winter tires, she got actually got a set of Blizzaks. Uh, on a, she got a second set of wheels and a set of Blizzaks, and I, we put them on for her. And she said, you know, after driving, it, driving the, the, the rear-wheel drive 86 in the snow on the Blizzaks, compared to driving the Honda Fit on all-season tires. It was like night and day. It was so much more confidence-inspiring. Yeah, and we, my daughter had just all-seasons on her car when we she first started driving and because I just hadn't put winters on there, and I um, bought Blizzaks for her to put on it, and I think she drove like the first winter season with all-wheel drive, I mean with all-seasons, and then we put the winter tires on. She's like, why? What were you doing to me last year? Why did you not give me these earlier? You're a terrible mother. I'm like, I did get them for you eventually, so cool your jets. But she noticed it. She's like, oh, my gosh, and then my younger daughter has never driven with anything but the Blizzaks and my older ones, I was like, you have no idea. You have no idea what Bob put me through. I'm like, calm down. <laughs> you don't know the horrors of my you, life. Yeah, you don't know the horrors of all season tires compared to these. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I you know, I've, I've, I, I grew up driving all seasons. I've driven all seasons because I live in, again, California. Even when I lived in the, in the snow as a kid, it didn't snow enough for probably for winter tires. But if you are somewhere where it's, just, hey, it's snowing. That's what you got for the next few months. Yeah, you should definitely invest in some winter tires. And you know, as as my daughter did, and and what I've done in the past as well. Um, you know, if if you live somewhere, you know, where you get, uh, you know, a significant winter weather, um, a good thing, you know, if you can swing it, a good option is to just buy a second set of wheels with the winter and put have the winter tires mounted on those, and then you know sometime around Thanksgiving or so, or depending where you live, might be earlier or later, you know, just swap all four wheels, leave, leave your summer tires mounted on the wheels, stick them in a corner in the garage or in your basement or wherever, or, and most tire stores will also actually, uh, offer you storage for your tires when you, when you swap them out. And then, you know, in the spring, March, April, you know, whenever the, the snow and the salt melt, uh, then just put the summer tires back on and it's so much less hassle than having the tires un, you know dismounted from the wheels and you, less less risk of damaging the tires and the wheels it's going to cost you a little more but it'll it'll last a lot longer yeah no it's i i, I think uh, get some steelies yeah yeah throw some steelies on there because it, it I've, I've i've had this happen where you're, you're you're driving and you start to slide and all of a sudden you hit something that you didn't see because it was underneath snow and now you're scratched up your rim you yep. scratched up your wheel Get throw some steelies on there, so that way when that happens, you're like, "Oh, well, that sucked." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so so if you got you know an extra set of you know low cost alloy wheels, uh, and you know another good thing to to consider um, is you know go basically go minus one on when you get your winter tires, so one uh, one size down on your wheels. So she went from 17 inch wheels <clears> to 16s, um, and and also go a little bit narrower. And adjust, you get a, a little higher, um, uh, taller profile uh, uh, aspect ratio. 
So you have a little more compliance if you hit potholes and things like that. Um, and then also because the tires are, are narrower, you get a little more pressure on them, you know, because you've got the same weight of the car on a narrower contact patch. So you're going to get a little more pressure, a little more bite into the, the snow and ice. So you, again, that helps your traction a little bit. Yeah, I don't... Oh. Yeah, one the one probably the one thing I miss most about my engineering days was um, doing winter development. You know, working on things like anti-lock brakes, traction control, stability control. You know, we did we did the opposite of, of what you would expect. You know, when it's winter time, we would go places where it was even colder, and then in the summertime, we go places where it's even hotter to get the mm-hmm. extremes. And so, you know, I spent a bunch of winters up in northern Minnesota and northern Michigan and northern Sweden. Um, you know blasting around on snow and ice and frozen lakes. That's why I asked you earlier about the, the four inches of, of uh, ice you mentioned. You know, up, in, uh, up in Minnesota and in Sweden, we did our testing on frozen lakes where the ice was about two, two and a half feet thick. Uh, wow. And so, but it was, it was weird being out on the, on the ice on the frozen lake. You know, if you just stood out there when there was nothing else around, you could, sometimes you could hear it cracking and shifting under your feet. Oh, I did it. I did an ice drive in Colorado and they had us all out there. It was the same thing. There were certain spots. Like if you stood there, you could kind of feel things moving. I'm like, I'm going to die now for this drive program. <laughs> I'm going to die. This is it. This is it right now. But it's like you said, though, it's like feet of ice, but yeah. it's not completely inflexible. It's a little scary. It's cool, but scary. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Next up. Let's see. Um, speaking of, let's stick with EVs for a bit. Um, Nissan announced this week uh, at uh, their plant in Canton, Mississippi, uh, that they are going to be spending $500 million to retool to build a pair of new EVs, one for the Nissan brand, one for the Infiniti brand. Um, and no surprise there. I mean, everybody else is retooling plants to build EVs. But they had, they had uh, teaser videos for each of these. And what struck me about both of the teaser videos is the profiles of the cars. They were both sedans. And you were driving the Sentra, uh, Nicole, you know, and Nissan is, you know, unlike, you know, Ford and GM and many other brands has not completely given up on sedans. They're still building a bunch of different sedans. Yeah. (laughs) But um, apparently they're going to build two electric sedans in Canton, Mississippi in 2025. You you think about it though. Like what we, we don't, we have Tesla, what do we have for sedans? Just normal sedan, like the like the Ionic Five and the EV Six, but no, not something that normal people can normal own. Normal people, not not like, like the EQS, right? <laughs> the Lucid like, Air, right? Yeah. Like like the sedan wise, when you there really aren't. A, that's not a. There's nothing. They're crossovers. There's nothing unless you. There just aren't options. So if you're thinking, and technically, okay, only the Model Three is is, is a sedan, right? Because the so, Model S is a hatchback. Yeah. So you so you have a limited number of options, and unless you think sedans are just completely kaput, no one's going to buy them ever again, ever. It's not a bad call to create a couple of EVs, and there there's still a, a huge, despite the fact that crossovers and SUVs are everywhere, there's still a huge number of sedans on the roads. I mean, they aren't selling like they did once upon a time, but it's not like they're this like dud that no one's buying. They still sell a lot of them. Yeah, and uh, Hyundai is actually going to be launching an electric sedan later this year, the Ionic Six. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's roughly a, a Sonata-sized uh, sedan uh, that uh, we've seen spy photos of it, and that's that's coming out later this year. So we we will be getting mainstream electric sedans. They're they're coming, and 
at, at least uh, at least one from Nissan and one from Infiniti coming mid-decade. Uh, the other thing about this uh, that I noticed reading over the uh, the press release, and watching the announcement, um, Canton, Mississippi, uh, currently builds uh, Altimas, um, Frontiers, and um, the Titan, and the uh, uh, or. They were building the NV vans, the big, the full-size Nissan vans, the NV 1500, 2500, and 3500. It looks like, near as I can tell, I haven't been able to get back with Nissan yet. I think the NVs might actually be out of production now because they never really caught on that well. I think they may have ended those with the 2021 models. And the I wouldn't be surprised if the, the Titan is what gets replaced in, uh, in Canton when they start building these EVs. Because I know, the Titan is just kind of, is it, I mean, it's, it's such an also-ran at this point. Yeah, I, I looked up the sales numbers. They only sold 27,000 Titans last year. Wow. Uh, which is and how about, many F-150s were sold last year? Uh, well, uh, Ford typically sells somewhere between 60 and 70,000 F, F-Series pickups every month. Oh, jeez, Louise. So, so they sold more in two weeks than Nissan did of the Titan in a whole year. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's uh, Okay then. That's uh and I think that that's probably what happened with their their NV2 is the, you know the Ford Transit. That's a like that's a that's a juggernaut. Yeah. And you're like, "Hey, you want yeah. the Nissan NV?" They're like, "Nah, I'm just going to keep you in it." Well, between between the Transit, the Sprinter and the Ram ProMaster, I mean, those uh, three those are three. They really dominate the the full-size van market today. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um again, sticking with the uh, the EV Theme for another another couple of minutes. Um, some patents uh, published by or published this week by Toyota um, for um, a simulated manual transmission for EVs. This is weird. <laughs> yeah, it's just going on and say like I what like because it's it's not as though everybody it's not as though there are vast vast numbers of people who drive manual transmissions and I love them and they're fine. But they're like, well, I'm not going to buy an EV. There's no manual. Forget it. I'm out. I, I don't know about this. Don't know about this, Sam. So for, for, for those that haven't read this uh, or, or seen this, um, there, there was a series, I think, of eight different patents that involve um, having a manual H-pattern style shifter, uh, a pseudo clutch pedal, and a control system. Uh, to manage the torque output of the electric motor so that it basically it's like driving a video game if you've got you know if you if you've got you know one of those thrustmaster wheels and and shifter yes. and pedal setups uh, at home for for playing Gran Turismo or Forza you know you you shift this thing the shifter's not actually connect mechanically connected to anything it's it's connected to a bunch of sensors. Um, and the clutch so is it pedal. Gonna, so can, is it going to make it feel like that sensation of like you've uh, like is it well, there's a, gears? Yeah, because you you'll well, have a you, different torque level for each as after you shift. Yeah, it'll, yeah between it'll, each shift, you'll see you'll feel the torque drop mm, off. You know, and, uh, mm, you know. I, I guess know the, the big question is, you know, will will they program in the ability to stall the electric uh, motor? <laughs> yeah, oh. if you're not paying well, attention, you, can you stall it? <laughs> will you hit a red limiter? Will it be off? Slip the clutch a little bit. You know, <laughs> go, trying to yeah, how realistic is this? Can you Everyone's mess it up? Basically, is what we're asking. Because if you can't mess I mean, it up, then it is since, not since realistic. Since it's all electronics, you could theoretically do anything you want with it. 
there's no reason you couldn't do mm-hmm. that. I'm, I'm not sure why you would want to. Because then it's not real. If I where did, where, where did it say? I'm trying to figure out the phrasing. In this story, it says it's supposed to be, uh, co- what does it say? Like of comfort to people who prefer manual. It should be of comfort. Well, then it should. Yeah. Comforting to drivers accustomed to manual boxes. Comforting. Well, then I need to have all the risk associated with that comforter. It's not really. (laughs) I demand. I I I want the risk risk and the reward or I don't want this. (laughs) I I, I agree. This. I don't know. This just it is just exciting. a patent. I mean, to be fair, it's, it's not true. like they just didn't yeah. announce this is coming. It's just we could do this if we wanted to. We should probably patent it. All right, you know, you have no idea if this will ever actually end up in a vehicle. Uh, on, on the other hand, you know, I mean, it's not inexpensive to file patents. No, you know? but I feel and, like and this is a series of eight patents. But I so, feel like automakers file a lot of patents just to do. make sure that some yeah. little random piece of this giant schematics that they it have happens. wasn't something they could they could say, no, we have that first. Like if there's a part in there they think might apply if, to something else, you know? I wonder if they're looking at Porsche because it has the two-speed two uh, gearbox for the Taycan. Maybe. I wonder if they're looking at like the Volkswagen group and being like, oh, we should get ahead of that. Just because to make they sure. come out with a five, you know, a five Except there's no indication here that they're going to have a multi-speed gearbox. Just yeah, the but they wanted, they, they, but yeah, they, they, they're like, well, if Porsche comes out with it, we want to say, well, we got an EV that has a man, it has, uh, it's a manual. They're like, and, and Toyota can be like, hold on, there, Mister uh, Volkswagen. Now what, what if, now what if Ferrari <laughs> licenses this from Toyota, and they, they bring back the classic um, stainless steel gated uh, shift gate, like, like you had, you know, back in the old days. <laughs> I mean, you could. Do, I mean, okay. So, uh, uh, one 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 where world where an EV does sort of pair up with a with a, a manual transmission is the resto mod uh, world. Um, True. Because it's it's easier to just connect a uh, an electric motor to your transmission than to try to like create all this like you know, an automatic system and connecting it to all the transaxles and. And drive shafts and whatever, it, you just just hook it up to the to your transmission that's in your old car, and you'll be fine. And most everyone like takes off in second gear because of all the torque. So there is cars out there that have manual. There are cars out there that have manual transmissions that are EVs, but they're sort of like you know they're they're, they're Frankenstein cars, which is <laughs> well, I, I want to build one of these Frankenstein cars. So so I'm not saying these are as a bad thing. I'm you know I, I I'm. Like one of my goals, hopefully in the next five years, is to build a resto mod uh, EV. Um, I don't. I mean, I guess you you could you could turn the X type into a resto mod. There you go. Uh, no, no, no. The S type is not no. <laughs> that's He's not, like, that's not my plan. No, I that's you, you now. <laughs> the X type. The X type is. I think I want to safari it out. I want to lift it up and 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 throw it. It's all wheel drive, ish. Uh, <laughs> Get the three liter V six, um, yeah. Lift it up a little bit. It's got, you know, it's it's the dog car. I think it'll be a fun like that'll be a fun uh, uh, project. But you could put a, a you know a manual transmission in an EV, and it you know it could be fun. It'd be cool. If, you know, it'd be cool. Miata. Yeah. Well, th- there are there are some companies that are doing EV conversions for Miatas, um, and back about. I want to say about 2008 or so, um, I was out working in my yard one day and this guy pulls into my driveway. I, I was mowing the lawn, pulls into the driveway in this old beige Saturn coupe, first generation Saturn coupe. And, uh, you know, gets out of the car and asks me you know, if I write about cars. Cause you know, he'd, 
he drove by all the time and he saw all the different cars in the driveway. I said, yeah. I said, well, you want to check out my car here? And he had done his own home EV conversion on this first-gen Saturn On II. a Saturn? On a Saturn. Wow. And, you know, it was under the hood and in the trunk and everything was filled with lead-acid batteries that he had wired up. And it was, you know, the electric motor in the front was connected to the five-speed manual transmission, the original Saturn five-speed. Um, and, you know, we took it for a drive. I, I, I test drove it. It was actually not bad. I mean, thing had, he said it had a range of about 40 miles. Um, I'll find the link and, and put it in the show notes. Uh, there's, some, there's some photos uh, with it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you, you can do stuff like that. Um, but, again, I mean, those cars have actual transmissions in them. Yeah, you know, and you're you you know when you have that shifter there, you are actually moving the gears around. You're moving doing the things shift that are necessary. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what Toyota's to talking about here is just you know pretending. It's you know, a, a pseudo shifter. I mean, they literally use the phrase pseudo shifter and pseudo clutch. Oh, yeah. You know, so there is not actually a clutch in there. There is not actually. What, so can you envision ratios. someone thinking that they actually figured out how to drive a manual transmission with this thing and then getting in a real one? Like they're done. Like wait, well, this isn't uh, like my fake I mean, one. If you, if you program it right, you could actually do that. If you program yeah. it to have that. But you have to. That's what I mean. You have to program it to fail, like to fail the way a regular yeah. one was. Oh, like yeah. oh, I didn't shift right. That's, I didn't time it right. If you don't program it that way, then no one's really gonna like you. You'd think you're learning, but you're not. You have to program failure into the. You have thing. to program failure into this. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you don't do it right. Your you. car stalls. Boo. Yeah, mm-hmm. boo! Like like a like a like a like an impatient dad. Who's <laughs> <laughs> who's holding on with white knuckles under the like yeah. white knuckling it? <laughs> shift now! Right. Shift now! Shift now! <laughs> okay, one one more uh, EV thing here, uh, which is a, uh, about the Silverado EV. When when we were in Chicago. Um, I had a chance to sit down with Nicole Kratz, and after this segment, I'll, I'll drop in the interview I did with Nicole. Uh, Nicole is the chief engineer on this, the 2024 Chevy Silverado EV, and I, I asked her some questions um, uh, about this, you know, particularly getting back to the, the whole weight question, you know, some of the design decisions they made. And I'll, I'll let you listen to the interview. It's about 15, 18 minutes, I think. Uh, and she talks about some of the design decisions. What, one of the big things that uh, that came out of that, you know, because they didn't use um, the the existing Silverado frame, uh, and they didn't have to rely on having the same hard points for mounting the cab on it. You know, that that's part of what allowed them to do the the unibody design, the avalanche style uh, architecture. But it also allowed them to move the frame rails further out. Because if you look under most trucks, you'll find that the frame rails are actually usually mounted about about eight to ten inches inboard. From the edge of the truck, they're not out at the the perimeter of the truck, and um, so you know they for and they did this for the Hummer and they're doing it for the Silverado and Sierra. The frame rails are moved all the way up, which allowed them to pack more more uh, cells in there, uh, and you know have with the two layer battery system. Um, and then earlier this week um, came, uh, came out uh, the documentation that GM submitted to EPA. For the, uh, the the Hummer EV, um, because the Hummer EV is not a light duty truck, uh, because it weighs nine thousand, has a curb weight of nine thousand pounds. <laughs> Nothing. Um, the word no. The word light should not be associated. In any no way, way no. applies. <laughs> um, it does not. It does not have to have any range numbers or MPGE numbers on the the Monroney label on this on the window sticker, uh, as light duty vehicles do, um, and. One of the 
it, they had some actual specs in, but they they still had to submit the documentation to EPA for it. So this thing um, has uh, the uh, energy efficiency of this thing is rated at 47 mpge. Uh, that's miles per gallon equivalent, which is really, <laughs> really, really bad. This is like far and away the worst energy efficiency of any EV on the market. But to be fair, that is the Hummer brand. It is. It's, it's never true. been. A- that is very true. Yeah, it's in. It's in line, right? It's. Yeah. It's. It's uh, in keeping with what it has been in the past. <laughs> it- but even the the battery itself, so we finally have actual specs on the the battery. Um, the The battery pack in the Hummer EV oh weighs two thousand nine hundred and twenty three pounds. That's more than the Honda Civic that's sitting in my garage. It's a whole Civic of batteries. It's a whole Civic worth of batteries. Just a civic. And it, it has uh, a gross capacity of 247 kilowatt hours and net of like 212 <laughs> kilowatt hours. Two forty. Yeah. Okay. Wait, wait. 247. <laughs> and then that's the gross? That's the gross. And then uh, 212, I think, was the, uh, uh, the net. 212 and a half, oh roughly. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, two, 212.7 kilowatt hours. Is the net uh, wow. usable battery uh, capacity? So it has a range of 329 miles, which is a bit less than the 350 that that GM had been promising for this thing. Even even the Rivian R1T, which up until now was one of the least efficient battery EVs, is rated at 70 mpge. This thing is only 47, which is it's really really bad. Really so, bad. So um, yeah, uh, assume you know. Chevrolet hasn't specifically said exactly what the capacity, the battery capacity is going to be on the Silverado. Uh, but they, they, um, they did, uh, you know, they did say it, it's going to have the, the two layer battery pack that's in the Silverado. So basically two battery packs stacked on top of each other. And it's presumably going to be the same, the same battery pack um, in order to get the 400 mile range. By comparison, the F-150 Lightning um, the extended range version of that has a 131 kilowatt hour battery pack that weighs, I believe it's, um, 1600 pounds. Whew. So just over half of the, the pack weight of the, uh, the Hummer. So, so. I, I did some quick math with the uh, net versus the, and the range and it's, um, the miles per kilowatt hour is 1.5. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> So it's, wow. it is it is it is completely in line with the Hummer brand. <laughs> yep, except no emissions. Except no emissions. Yeah, you don't have to get it smog. Yeah, no no direct. So there's that though. one there's that one departure from what it was. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to get it smog. I mean, it's still going to be if you're if you charge it at. Oh my god, that's going to take. Okay, so you have to get a level two charger. Oh yeah, I would have. Because two hundred twelve. Yeah. Jeez, um, and you have to make sure that you set it up to charge at night, um, so you get the cheaper. Uh, kilowatt hour rate, but it'll still be cheaper than, especially in California, but, where the gas is know, like I mean, five It's still going to be cheaper than gas. Yeah. yeah, it's still going to be cheaper yeah. than gas. Yeah. But I mean, if, yeah. If, if you made a modern Hummer, you know, that thing's probably going to get about 10 miles per gallon anyway. Yeah. So. At best. Whew. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Just stick sticking with that brand. Just go. <laughs> <laughs> 
But like wow. I said, I mean, the, the, the problem is, you know, the Silverado is based on most of the same hardware. So, you know, the Silverado EV is, you know, it's going to be probably not great, you know, in terms of efficiency compared to the F-150. Yes, yeah. it will have more, more range. It does have a longer bed, um, you know, but it has a lot less uh, payload capability, at least in the version, the first versions they're launching. Um, the, the work truck. Uh, only has a, a payload of 1,300 pounds versus 2,000 pounds for the F-150 Pro, the Lightning Pro. Um, so, uh, you know, for I think for depending on your application, for some people that might not be enough. Well, it also has a mid gate, so you know that's true. That. I don't so know why I'm excited about the mid gate. You, you can put really long stuff. <laughs> He's in like, there, wait, as long there's as it's more. Not too heavy. I'd like the idea of a mid gate for the dogs. The yeah. dogs can like walk in. We're in the bed. Okay. We're in the car. Okay. We're in the bed. Yeah. We're in the car. <laughs> Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Hey, everybody, it's Sam. Uh, During the recent 2022 Chicago Auto Show, I had a chance to sit down with Nicole Kratz. She is the chief engineer for the 2024 Chevrolet Silverado EV that's coming to market uh, about a year from now. Uh, Talk about some some things about that truck, like how much it weighs, uh, the range, some of the decisions that were made for that vehicle. Uh, Enjoy. So, uh, Nicole Kratz, um, you're chief engineer on the Silverado EV. Um, have you been involved on the program from the very beginning of it? I have. So, um, I'd like to dive in a little bit into the origins and kind of the, the thinking uh, around this vehicle. Sure. Uh, you, you guys have obviously taken a little bit different approach from your uh, competitors down the aisle here. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, they who build, shall remain nameless. Yeah, <laughs> building building it up from the from the ground up, you know, around the Altium. Uh, system. Yep. Um, what was some of the thinking um, around the, the decision making with, uh, you know, particularly with going with with this type of body style versus more traditional separate cabin bed and things like that? Um, so this is really about bringing um, efficiency to the EV um, opportunities. It's uh, you know we wanted a traditional looking. Um, uh, not a traditional looking pickup truck. We wanted a Chevrolet that had some cues from its um, Chevrolet counterpart, but also something that said that it was electric going down the road. Now, we could have done a body-on-frame architecture, but we know that um, EV adoption is going to be, especially in these early years, all about range. And we can't get, as you're seeing with those competitors that have chosen body on frame, um, you can't get 400 miles of range by going to a traditional body on frame architecture. You have to think differently and you have to recreate how you're going to integrate the battery pack. So this Altium architecture is really game-changing for the industry, for, for General Motors. It's really about creating a golden brick, a Lego, that has the um, battery pack as part of a structural pack. And that structure can be carried across multiple vehicles. So we were able to take that Altium battery pack, create an all-new body um, the structure from the Altium pack is quite a bit of the structure like a frame rail would be. So it's not body frame integral where all of the structure is in the body alone. And it really allows us the opportunity to build on the scale that the Altium offers. It allows us to um, repartition literally the front overhang, the front of dash, the cab, 
everything is redesigned to be able to fit, number one, the battery packs in, and number two, get the aerodynamic performance that we want to be able to get um, 400 or even more miles of range. Now, um, you've got a, a considerably larger pack capacity with this one. Um, I, I don't know if GM has officially said 200 kilowatt hours, but that's the estimate. That's the rumor on the street. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, and, and I think early on with the Hummer, that's that's what the, the discussion was. You know, it was talked about that. Sure. Um, so. Um, you know, you've got a similar footprint to the F-150 Lightning in terms of overall length and uh, width and so on. Where, where did you, you know, what, what were you able to do by not um, having to stick with existing hard points? You know, where, where did you put in, where did you manage to pack in that extra um, capacity? So the frame rails don't sit inboard of the uh, rockers like on a traditional pickup truck. The um, battery structure is literally as wide as just inside of the rockers, which allows you to pack in batteries wider than a traditional body-on-frame um, pickup truck. So that's part of that Ultium structure. We've also um, been able to get like a 5'11 truck bed that the competitors aren't doing. And that's because we um, shortened the front overhang. We made the overall length of the truck the same, but we shortened the front overhang and, and changed the wheelbase a little bit and moved some things around inside the truck to be able to get that 5'11 bed. We also didn't trade off um, passenger size, so there's still a 6-foot customer You kind of that shifted the cab forward. Yeah, you kind of shifted the cab forward, exactly. You can't do that if you use the traditional body-on-frame pickup. So it's all about um, the pack size. Mm -hmm. We've got the Ultium structure, which um, carries, you know, the 24-module battery packs are two levels of battery cells on top of each other. It's a very um, uh, awesome opportunity to scale our EVs that we're bringing into the segment and be able to build upon that architecture. And uh, yeah, obviously, you know, in addition to having a longer base bed, uh, you know, uh, I guess how much, how much of that extra length, that extra, I guess about five or six inches of the, the bed length came from the fact that uh, by by using this uh, unified architecture for the upper body, um, you know, not having to have that gap between the cab and the bed, how much were you able to gain there from that? Yeah, so um, you know, the gap between the truck and the the, the pickup bed and the cab is a pretty good amount of inches when you work on the um, the gap that you need between the cab and the bed as well as just the metal structure itself between the two. So it's a it's a, a couple inches. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not going to say the exact numbers here and there. Um, we've also uh, put the customer forward um, closer to the, the front wheels than we have in a traditional vehicle. So we've gained some inches there as well. And then um, shorten the front overhang, you know, gets that overall length to still be the same. And of course, that, that also gave you the opportunity by making that decision to to bring back the midgate, you know, which right. was which was a, a unique feature of the Avalanche and and, uh, and the, the Cadillac, uh, the Escalade EXT, I think it was whatever. <laughs> um, was was that um, you know, was that something that? Uh, that the ability to add the midgate that was that something that drove some of that decision making for the unified structure or was that just a, a happy benefit of, of going that direction yeah so we didn't set our sights on an avalanche and we didn't set our sights on a midgate when we started okay. we, um, we were designing a traditional uh, cab 
and we started talking about our compass was 400 miles of range or more and um, cargo carrying flexibility. And when we started to look at our design and, and what we had come up with, we weren't as versatile as we wanted to be in terms of what an EV can offer. And so we stepped back and started going through, should we design a little pass-through? Well, let's not do that. Let's do something bigger. It's a pickup truck. It should be capable of something bigger than a, a small pass-through. Okay, well, let's just, let's just flip down the back for a 100% kind of pass-through. Um, we had, we had talked about the fact that it would be really helpful to have a passenger in the back seat. So that, that idea evolved. It didn't, it didn't come from let's go do the avalanche and let's go redo it and just make it better. It really evolved from when we sat back and looked at it at one point in the design process, we said this is not giving the customers the versatility that we want and the um, appeal of moving to the EV segment needs to be high range and something different than what they get today from their full-size pickup. Okay. Um. The, um, the the performance. You know, well, I guess before I get to that, um, you know, one of the, the the issues with the Hummer is it's very heavy, and um, you know, it sounds like this one is going to be heavier than uh, the the Lightning. Uh, I know you're not ready to talk about that that weight, but is is that is that a do you see that as a potential problem? I wouldn't say that the Hummer's weight is a problem, um, and I don't think we will have a problem either. I mean, the reality is that um, cell technology is constantly evolving. The weight of the um, trucks are based on you know, how many cells of packs of batteries that you could put into the truck. So if someone's going to put 24, you know, module batteries, they're all different cell chemistry. But, you know, the people that you're referencing that are lighter are lighter because they're lower range. Mm -hmm. I, can give you a, I can give you a lighter truck that's got 300 or 280 miles of range and, and will be competitive, will be equals. Okay. So I don't think it's about... Um, but you also being, have less payload than well, the F-150 but again, it's because we're trading off how many miles of range. So tit for tat, if you want to, you will see from us more uh, models becoming available, and you'll see that we're extremely competitive for payload. Um, you're seeing sort of one view right now of a fully loaded truck, so it's a little hard for me to talk about the total range of the um, payload capability. But what I will assure you is that the truck is very efficiently designed from a mass perspective. As the module packs drop, we still offer um, great range that will still outperform our competitors um, for, the, let's just say, a similar capability, um, similar price points, things like that. And um, we'll have trucks that'll have better payloads than our customers. And those will show up when you see more of what, what you hear now, and this is standard in the full-size truck industry, whether we talk EVs or ICE, you know, you hear payload numbers of usually base vehicles, and then as you add options, your payload goes down, but people don't advertise those numbers. We've come out with the RST fully loaded truck as our one and only truck, so you're hearing one data point. As you see more of those models coming out, you're going to see um, improved payload numbers like people would expect, and it's going to be a very similar setup to what you see in full-size trucks today. It's uh, nothing uncompetitive about what we're doing. Okay. I, it, uh, it, uh, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting about the, 
the EV market right now you know, is we're starting to see a lot of emphasis on the commercial customers yep. uh, for EVs. And, and you're launching the Silverado with the work truck first, yep. several months before the RST comes out. Um, did, you know, was was that decision was that driven by demand from those from that customer base from your fleet customers were they were they asking for something like this or is it more that you decided you thought that this might be a benefit to them and, and you know they they thought you know they looked at it what you were offering and said yeah let's, let's do that what what drove that uh, I think there's a couple of things so first of all. Um, ESG and sustainability um, investors that are investing in these fleet companies are asking the fleet companies to become more sustainable and so they're seeking out partnerships with people like us to help them sort of achieve their ESG goals and sustainability goals so uh, most certainly we want to offer that opportunity to them I think the second thing is that EV adoption is not just about putting um, retail vehicles out on the road, but it's also about people seeing um, utility companies, fleet companies, uh, enterprise, those kind of people that we've talked about. Uh, it's about seeing them show that an EV pickup truck is a solution. It's, it can become normalized. And so it can having, do the job. It can do the job and it's capable. So without having to just have word of mouth through retail customers, you're also visibly seeing that fleets are embracing um, a utility going out to fix a pole in an EV Silverado is the same as a utility going out and, and fixing a pole in a Silverado ice truck. And so there's definitely multiple facets to wanting to do more with our fleet markets. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm really encouraged to see this adoption because, you know, as, as you all know as an engineer, you know, the actually address, you know, bringing electrification to this kind of market actually has a really big impact. You know, taking a, a 35 or 40 mile per gallon car and hybridizing or electrifying it, it helps, but it's not nearly as big an impact for each vehicle as taking a truck that might be getting 12, 13, 14 miles per gallon, you know, doing out doing work every day and replacing right. it with an EV. That That has a huge impact on fuel consumption, emissions, Operating costs for the user. Absolutely. And so it's it's great to see that you know this is something that's finally starting to come to fruition. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people excited about it, and our fleet customers were hand raisers very early on, asking us to be part of this. Um, they came in, and we talked with them about the features and functions that they needed out of an EV pickup truck, and so this partnership with them has been. Um, you know, quite a, a good thing for everybody to really build that, um, you know, zero emissions future. One, one last thing related to that. Yeah. Was there any thought to, um, you know, since you're launching the work truck first, um, to also offering uh, a lower range version of it for those customers? Because a, yeah. a, lot of the, a lot of those users don't necessarily need 400 miles of range. Yeah, so um, our actual uh, original strategy was to have a lower battery pack for them. We thought that's what they wanted. And when we brought in the customers and started talking to them, um, they actually asked for the 400-mile range pack for two reasons. Some of them actually are going to use higher range vehicles to go to different job sites. And then others um, were asking for off-board power capability for their job sites. And so they're, yeah, so they're taking, you know, maybe they run 200 miles in their day, but they also need to run um, tools and lights and other things at their job site. So 
we actually um, listened to the customers and offered that 24 mod 400 mile range pack first. Um, the flexibility of the Altium architecture allows us to plug and play different mileage, different battery pack sizes to the customer's needs. And so, um, you know, the reservations that are available now, we've sold out the first work trucks, we've sold out the first RSTs. Um, now people can go uh, onto the website and order, uh, put in a reservation for an order for uh, a vehicle. Um, you know, there'll be more models and more configurations becoming available by by the time those people sort of their place in line becomes available. And so um, there'll be different offerings, and you'll see more of that flexibility and, and capability as we um, approach more of those type orders. Right. Um, anything else on the the self- Colorado EV or, or you know what what uh, Chevrolet is working on with electrification that uh, you want to bring up before uh, we wrap it up. Um, I think it's just about uh, you know being smart and providing compelling vehicles to bring people in to consider an EV. Um, uh, vehicle, and in my particular case, an EV pickup truck. We don't want to offer a cookie-cutter approach with something people um, are used to seeing and have the same capability as what we have in our Silverado today. We really work to make it the same and offer something new and compelling that uh, that an EV can really offer, and I'm, I'm really excited. Um, the feedback so far has been really great, and I think we're offering a really a compelling vehicle to our customers. All right. Well, congratulations, and Thanks. thank you so much for your time. All right. Good thank you. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Next up. Um, turns out that uh, in January, um, if, you, if you've been shopping for a new car recently, you've probably noticed that um, uh, you know, they're kind of expensive uh, if you can find anything on the lot at all. Uh, according to uh, the drive, um, they... 80% of new car buyers in January in the U.S. paid over sticker uh, for their cars, which is, I mean, that is something Bonkers. we have not seen before. I mean, in the past, you know, it used to be you would go into a dealer and, you know, you would haggle over the price and you'd, you'd usually drive away, more often than not, you'd drive away, you know, for something under sticker, somewhere between the invoice price and the sticker on a new car. And, Oftentimes there were you know various kinds of rebates and other deals and that ain't happening anymore. Um, and uh, let's see, yeah, it says the average new car buyer spent uh, seven hundred and twenty-eight dollars over MSRP in January in the U.S. Um, and I think the uh, transa- average transaction prices are up uh, to about forty-two or forty-three thousand dollars now in the U.S. It's interesting is- that this talks about it's not the same. Like although the average was seven hundred twenty-eight. Buyer shopping for a Cadillac um, paid an average of four thousand over MSRP to take home a Cadillac. Yep, an extra uh, four grand to have a Cadillac. Land Rover was twenty five hundred, twenty five sixty five over MSRP, um, and uh, let's see, uh, Kia was twenty two eighty nine. Yeah, a Kia. My yeah. gosh, like that's. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with Kia, but it's just like here we have this lux- like a luxury brand like Land Rover. 25 Kia 22 that's like as in demand as Land Rover I don't know only six brands um, sold their had their uh, average transaction prices be lower than MSRP in January Mini BMW Ram Lincoln Volvo and Alfa Romeo so um, if you're if you're looking for a car right now that's where you can get your best deals Um, 
an alpha of all so the So basically, you want to buy an Alfa Romeo because it it says an Alfa was the only manufacturer survey that had a had four digit average discounts. Ooh, you can get only a you can get a Julia. Huh? I know. I want a Julia so <laughs> yeah, bad. I can't even tell you. Like, that's what I'm going to do after the podcast. I'm going to go buy a Julia. <laughs> you can buy a Julia for super cheap. You can for go super buy a, cheap. <laughs> you can buy a super cheap Julia or a crazy expensive, expensive Bronco. Expensive Cadillac. Yeah. Or, or Cadillac. Cadillac, yeah. Which would you pick? Would you pick? I would pick the super cheap Julia. Oh, yeah. I would totally get the Julia. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, last one we've got uh, is one that you found, uh, Nicole. Yeah, uh, I, I, thought this. This, I thought this was just kind of fun. So last weekend, what, we had the Super Bowl happen, and everyone's all excited about the Super Bowl. I don't know who won or who played or anything. I just know I didn't have to listen to Tom Brady. I didn't have to listen to Tom Brady football, anymore. Are none of us football fans? Or, no, are, not a, I, I'm not I a football fan. My, I, my wife had to tell I, me, A, who was playing. And then when she said the Rams, I'm like, oh, the St. Louis Rams. She's like, no, they're in L.A. I'm like, no, <laughs> right. that's before. I think it's just, wait, no, I'm trying to remember. It was the Rams, and it was too cut. I don't even remember. I remember it was the, the Rams. Bengals. Bengals. Okay. Yeah. So regardless of the sports ball part of the sports ball. So everybody knows they pay a small fortune to advertise. Like I watch games like that. Cause I, the commercials and the automakers do some really cool commercials, but they also, this is just sort of neat. Like, does anyone get any bang for their buck for all that auto auto advertising? This was actually about the halftime show. And if anybody saw the crazy halftime show, there were all these low riders, these Chevy Impala low riders were part of the, the, the show in the halftime show bouncing along and eBay motors was putting up that after that they had a 160% surge in searches for Chevy Impala lowriders just from having it there for not even doing like an official commercial for it's just like, Oh, they were part of the halftime show. I thought that was kind of amazing. And all these things like to get suspension kits for your lowrider suspension kits and taillight kits and rims. So like you don't even have to advertise. You just just put your put your car on the sidelines there somewhere. Just get it into the halftime show. Poof. So because of the average ad at the show, do you know how much it costs to do an ad at the Super Bowl? Is it like uh, six and a half million now? Or is it the four, highest four ones this year were seven million. The average cost is six point five million dollars. million. So I don't know what you would get back for your 30 second ad spot, but if you managed to get your cars put into the halftime show and you were trying to sell Chevy Impala lowriders, 160% increase in searches just because it was uh, in the Super Bowl halftime show. People are rolling in their 6'4". Do do they have any any, uh, stats on some of the uh, on some of the actual ads uh, in terms of the impact it has on searches? No, this one just. I'm this thinking was... specifically of the GM ad with Doctor Evil. With Doctor Evil, no, this didn't have that. This was specifically just about how the Impalas did as a result of the halftime show. Um, so I don't have the figures on the other. You have to Google and get more stuff, Sam. You can put that okay. on that next week's. But I just thought that was kind of impressive. Like it wasn't even an official ad. It was sort of like, you know, background stuff at the halftime show. Still a huge number of searches. So you see how all those random things that are placed that you don't think they're advertising for something, but they are. Whew, they got some payback on that one. It, okay. was, a, it was a fun Gen X hip hop halftime show. It was. I, was I, I didn't watch. I didn't watch the, the game. I watched it on YouTube. They they put Saves. the halftime show on YouTube. So I'm like, Saves. yeah, it's Trey. I, I like the next day in the morning. I was like, oh, the halftime show, the halftime. I'm like, okay, fine, YouTube. I'll watch. I'm like, oh, that was not bad. It was nice. <laughs> and then I was all excited. I'm like, oh, I mean, I was all, I'm like, oh, what you think? Imagine Kendrick Lamar must be so excited, like up there with his heroes. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, I got all excited. I, yeah, rolling your six four. That's as much yeah, as I can do. 
That's all you get. got. That's pretty good. Well, that we, I don't think we can do. We're allowed to do uh, any more than that without having to pay license. Without having to pay nine bazillion. <laughs> well, having yeah. to pay six point yeah. five million. Six point five million dollars <laughs> in licensing. Okay. Um, let's answer some questions from the listeners. Uh, first one from at Bastion seventy two eleven. He says, "I'm not Brianna Wu. Uh, <laughs> Brianna happens to own four Porsches, including a, an air cooled uh, Targa. Um, it, but Hero. I have a question about a Porsche. Is it too late to get an air cooled Porsche? I'm not. I'm talking whale tail, no AC, feeling the road through the steering wheel, and manual transmission. Bare bones excitement. I can't afford a hundred thousand dollars for what would be a weekend car. Um, well, as long as you can deal with the whale tail without the turbo." Um, I did. I did a little looking around on uh, Haggerty under valuation tool. Eighties, nineteen eighties, air cooled nine elevens are typically going for somewhere between fifty and seventy thousand um, dollars for the the non turbos. Um, if you if you want the whale tail and the turbo, you're definitely going to be paying over a hundred yeah. grand. Uh, so they're not cheap, but they're not. Well, they're expensive, but they're not. <laughs> They're not stupid expensive just yet. Yeah, I think, and I, th- I think, uh, I mean, I like to think that at some point in the next, you know, after the next two, three years, the prices of a lot of these vehicles are going to go down. I think we're in a pretty, everything is inflated as far as I'm concerned when it comes to cars, new cars, used cars, old cars, everything. It's just, it's all too much money. It's, it's, you know, everyone's throwing. Everything's weight. so expensive. Right yeah, now. everything went. People are paying hundred thousand dollars for ninety Honda Civics. I'm like, oh, slow down, everyone. <laughs> Slow so down. you're so you're saying there is a bubble in the used car market? I believe that there is a bubble in the used car market. That's a bold so, claim, Robbie. I don't know. But uh, we'll we'll start out. <laughs> bold. bold claim. Hundred thousand dollar Integra Type R's. That's totally 000. reasonable. Oh my gosh. Um. So you know, if if you can wait, but of course, there's also the the sort of if you wait, maybe it'll just keep going up because there'll be fewer of them on the road. I don't know. Uh, it's good luck. I I, I think. I think you know there there were enough 911s built. Yeah, you know, there there's 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 a lot of them out there. Yeah. And they've been built for a long time. Yeah. Um they all have a thin layer all the ones from the 80s also all have a thin layer of cocaine on the interior so you get that. Right. Going. Yeah. That these a little bonus or <laughs> little I guess bonus. depending on your point of view. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so be patient, you know, give give it a, a couple more years till the bubble bursts and and then you know pick one up for 10 or Then try and get one. Yeah. Not today. Yeah. Um, all right. At Wubbles asks, have Tesla drivers become the BMW <laughs> drivers of the 21st century, a.k.a. the biggest a-holes on the road? I so, don't know. I still think BMW drivers are pretty much a-holes I, here in New England. Maybe I just don't see enough Teslas here. I so, vote for the BMW drivers. So someone who, who, who rode uh, motorcycle and scooters around San Francisco, like you start sort of seeing like because you have to be hyper aware when you ride anything on two wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so BMW, like German uh, gentlemen – well, I wouldn't even call them gentlemen. Older dudes in German sports sedans uh, were pretty bad, but they were not as bad as a Uber and Lyft drivers because they don't. They're just like, I don't know where I'm going. I gotta go left. Or contractors and and white F-150s because a contractor oh. in F one fifty gives zero f's about what's zero. going on. They're just yep. like, I don't care. Um, Tesla drivers though started getting like very. Uh, here, uh, two days ago, I was driving, I don't know, something, and I looked over, and the man in the Model S uh, took both his hands off the wheel 
to grab his his phone with both hands to text while we were driving down the freeway. And I was like, I'm going to slow down and get over a lane. Give him some room. <laughs> give him some room. <laughs> so I think that Tesla drivers are becoming the, yeah. I think we, we, we yeah. I would I would split it up. Yeah, I don't, I hate to overgeneralize. I would say that. But you will. Uh, <laughs> I, will I will mildly <laughs> generalize. I, I would say that there's at least two categories of Tesla drivers. You know, there because there's there's a lot more Teslas on the road today than there were a few years ago. And I think okay. you know, and I know some people that own Teslas, and they're not all like this. Um, I would say that there's kind of two categories of Tesla drivers. There are there are those who you know just bought a Tesla because they were looking for a nice electric car. You know that you know looked decent, had some decent performance, uh, wasn't stupid expensive. Um, you know, and you know they they bought a Model Three or a Model Y, um, and then uh, and then there's the the Tesla fans, uh, and and most of these people own stock in Tesla, and they tweet a lot um, in in response to everything that Elon says, um, and if you say anything remotely negative about Tesla. They will swarm you on Twitter uh, or wherever else, um, and I think those are the the one. And a lot, I think uh, a larger, probably a larger percentage of those type of Tesla owners happen to live in the Bay Area, um, and yeah. so I, I think that those are the ones. Yeah, and they're they're the ones that get the you know they're the ones that get your attention. The other people that are just driving around doing just their thing. Just cruising, living yeah. life like a yeah. regular person. Yeah, it's, it's you know, the, the squeaky wheel gets the attention. Yeah, um, this is true. So, you know, I think, there, I think there's these kind of two categories of Tesla owners. And, and the, the ones in that latter category, the, the real fans, the hardcore fans, I think they are probably worse than the worst of the BMW drivers, uh, yeah. especially if they have access to the FSD beta. Oh, um, uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, the, the rest of them, you know, they're just average people just driving around, you know, using, using the, the Model 3 as what it is, which is, you know, the 21st century Camry. You know, it's the, it's the, the Camry of, of Silicon Valley now. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, Andrew Pappas asks, I have a family on both coasts, so driving across the U.S. was not an uncommon vacation growing up. Uh, I, want to drive some, I want to drive some of the roads in Europe especially the Alpine passes. What's the furthest that you've ever driven and what's your dream road trip? The furthest I've ever driven, like in one fell swoop, like, like on a road, road trip. You've done at least one transcontinental drive. Probably across the U S is the furthest I've ever driven. I don't know that I've done anything longer than that. I don't think. What about you guys? It's pretty, I mean, it's a pretty big country. I've driven from California to, to, um, to Pennsylvania and I've driven from California to, to uh, what's that state called? Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> what's I've, driven, I've, I've driven from New York to Denver via DC and Cleveland, Chicago, Memphis, and and Dallas and uh, Amarillo. Uh, I think that's that's definitely the longest. <laughs> that's a Johnny Cash song. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, we we did we did go to the uh, to the rodeo while we were in Amarillo. So yeah, as one must. It was interesting seeing a bunch of German engineers and big. Big Stetsons. Oh, <laughs> brand new Stetsons. Not sticking out like a sore thumb nope. at all. Not at all. <laughs> Stetsons and, and Lederhosen. Now, there's a combination for you. 
dun, 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 dun. Um, but uh, no, I think that's that's definitely the longest road trip I've taken, uh, and I've I've driven like from Michigan to South Carolina and, and Georgia a couple of times. Yeah. Um, so those those would be those would be the longest. What about your what about your dream road trip? My dream road trip. I mean, it would probably be in Europe. I really want to go through the Stelvio Pass in Italy. I just saw something about that once, and somehow it got my attention. So I want to drive a road trip that has that in there somewhere. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's that's what comes to mind just off the top of my head. And I think there's probably a million places in Europe that I could drive that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think driving across your I driven the Swiss Alps, which was um, outstanding. Uh, yeah. I've driven um, around Bavaria a bunch and into Austria, Beautiful. which is really pretty. But yeah, uh, Italy, I'd like to drive in, in Italy. Um, did you drive that? You said you did. You drive in um, Norway at all? You ever been to Norway? I've been. Norway? I've driven in Norway. So did I think. I think the, like I've driven in Sweden. Norway do the, down to Italy. I think that would be a fun drive. Did you yeah. do the Trollstigen? Have you ever heard of this road, Trollstigen? No, I don't think so. I'm not just like making it up because it's called something else. Like it's really called Trollstigen, and it's this really twisty, turny mountain pass. Like there's points where you can't. You can't both go around the quarter. You pick who goes around the quarter, and <laughs> oh, then the other person no, goes around the No, I definitely did not. I was driving like an EQ C. I was driving the 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 SUV that Mercedes was going to yeah, bring to the United States, and then they okay. Didn't. Well, if you're in Norway, there's this highway called the Trollstigen that is this beautiful you go up, back and forth through the fjords. It, it goes. It's not so much it goes. It goes. You can kind of you kind of go up and then you come back down it like through this. You can, but it's just the view once you get up there. First of all, this little like we have little cheesy little rest areas in the United States. This looks like something out of falling water when you get up there. It's like beautiful, like watery area that you walk through. You can climb up farther if you want. There's it's beautiful. It's one of my favorite roads that I've ever driven. And there's they have an ice cream stand with a troll on top because like Ooh. why not? You have to have that. Um, but yeah, the troll stick in, in um, Norway, which is absolutely beautiful so if you're ever there and you f- see that go go drive that road if you like to drive so the, roads the troll stigging down to the tip of italy i think that's there that's, we go that's, that's that would work that would work thing. for me yes I, yeah I've, I've driven from arvidsjar or from hethel to in england in the which is on the uh the east uh, east uh what do you call it the eastern part Coast. of england um, to Sweden, to Arvidsjar, Sweden, which is up Ooh. near the Arctic Circle. Ooh, that's uh, cool. And then driven back to uh, to Birmingham at the end of a winter. Um, so that that was that was an interesting trip, driving all the way up through Sweden along the the what the eastern coast uh, along was that it's the the Baltic Sea? I think it's the Baltic. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was a gorgeous drive. And I've driven you know in the Black Forest and uh, the Autobahn. Um, but I think yeah, definitely doing doing more driving in Europe would be would be awesome. I'd definitely like to do the Stelvio Pass and assorted other places. Yes. So you go there drive you go. across Europe. Go go get one of those BMW delivery things where you can, you can pick up your your BMW in Germany. There you go. And then just drive yeah. around Europe for a while. I, I once I tried to drive. I, I I was in Barcelona and I was going to drive over to Italy to visit my friend who lives over there. And absolutely everyone was like, don't do that because you're going to have to drive through France. And I was like, why? 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 Oh, God, France. <laughs> They're like, don't do it. Don't do it. And so, What's your least favorite country to drive through? Do you have one where you feel like there's no rules? I have uh, one where I feel like there's – and I said I wanted to drive there, but – Drive – I mean, 
Greece, no one. There are rules in Greece, but no one follows them. It was, That's it was it. Still, I guess they all have rules. It's just how likely yeah. are they to but follow it, them? But it, I like driving. It was nice driving through Greece, but like they're like rules are just sort of like nice suggestions. Yeah. In Greece. Yeah. yeah. Um, one one of the coolest drives I ever did uh, that done uh, done it a couple different times is uh, uh, in Arizona um, from the uh, the Roosevelt Dam. Uh, mm. There's a road that goes down from the dam. Um, along the, the canyon, along the river, the Salt River, that uh, is, at least when I did it, I don't know if it's still unpaved. It was unpaved at the time, but it winds back and forth, kind of the kind of thing you described, Nicole, uh, mm-hmm. in Norway, winding back and forth. Um, and this was one that we used when I was still working for GM, when I was working on the Elan, um, and we, we were doing our summer testing in, in Arizona. Uh, we would sometimes go drive up to the dam and then drive back along this road that goes uh, from the dam down to Apache Junction, and uh, it's that's a it's a um, um, wouldn't say quite terrifying, but uh, it, it definitely takes a lot of attention. <laughs> um, otherwise, you end up you could end up falling a very long distance down to the water to your doom. Yes. I'd be curious what any listeners who feel like tweeting us or telling us or emailing us what their favorite place in the U S if they have a road that they love or a section of highway that they love to drive in the U S that would be kind of neat. Tweet at us. Tweet at us. I I will say driving in South Korea, um, the, 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 the speed limits are very low and there's a lot of just random speed bumps. So there's that's that's South Korea. (laughs) For no particular reason, For, like speed yeah. up here, speed up Every, there. Yeah, the speed limits are very low. Um, I was in the mountains driving. The speed limit was 30 kilometers an hour, which is 18 miles an hour. Wow, that is On slow. a road with no houses around, down a hill wow. with switchbacks. And I was like, no, I'm not doing 18 miles. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that, you know, for what it's worth, I mean, that speed limit may have been set back in the days when that's probably about as fast as you would want to drive on a road like that in a Korean car. I mean, Korean cars have come a long way, but yeah. you know, again, at the beginning of my career, you know, along with that Lotus, I also did some work on a, on a Daewoo uh, program that, um, Ooh, that was a frightening car. <laughs> and I never drove that one on the street. That was, only, that was just driving on the track. In a car with air quotes. <laughs> Yes. Car, yeah. Well, car. it had four doors, four wheels, you know, an engine. Car, um, mostly. But, yeah. it, you know, it, it almost had some brakes. Um, <laughs> Brake-like things. Uh, Gupta AJ uh, asks us, um, this actually goes back to what the topic we had earlier, uh, about uh, the AutoNation CEO saying on their earnings call that transactions at full MSRP are here to stay. Is this wistful, wishful thinking or the manufacturer stumbled across, across, upon some secret sauce? If I'm paying sticker price, would the dealership model even be necessary? Um, I think it probably is here to stay. Um, because, you know, unless, unless we get into a situation, again, where manufact- because we've got so many new entrants coming in with all these EV startups, you know, if everybody starts overbuilding uh, and flooding the market with too much supply, I think you know, one of the things we've seen from manufacturers during, you know, over the past year, especially with the, the chip shortage, is they're increasingly encouraging customers to factory order their cars. The, you know, usually the model in the U.S. has been, um, you know, you go into the, the dealership and you buy something off the lot and you drive away that same day, uh, which is part of the reason why we have so many gray and silver and white and black <laughs> cars, uh, because they're easier to sell. You know, it's easier to have somebody just drive away with one of those 
Um, you know, the, the bold colors are a little bit tougher. Um, the, with, you know, with, with so little supply, you know, uh, and I've, I've told people, you know, that I've talked to, you know, that were said they're, you know, they're looking to buy a new car and we're wondering what to buy. I said, whatever you decide on, go into the, you know, decide early, go into the dealer, place an order so you can get exactly what you want because otherwise you're for still for a while now, you're going to have a hard time finding what you want on, on a dealer lot. And if you're doing that, if they're keeping inventories low and not overbuilding, then it probably will, you know, be selling cars with little or no discounts going for, you know, for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Hopefully, and you know, they're, they're, they don't make as much money on the EVs as they do on the gas vehicles. You know, the, the the sort of gravy train of the big truck that just, you know, they build it for, you know, ten dollars and they sell it for a hundred dollars is 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 kind of coming to an end. And so, they, you know, they they have to make their money somewhere. So. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be forever. I think it'll stick around for a while, though. I think yeah. it's going to still take some time for everything to get to some kind of leveling where we aren't so short on vehicles and that if they start producing and overproduce that we aren't, over, you know, I just think it's going to take a little time for things to to even out. Soon, in a couple of years, we'll have those factory rebates of $10,000 on a brand new, you know, commercial. Except for, what is it? There's some vehicle that's going to be in demand for it. What's the, the giant ship that's on fire somewhere? Isn't there some oh, giant? Yeah, oh, the yeah. The Porsches and the Volkswagen. The, Porsches yeah. and Porsches, Volkswagen. Porsches, so Audis, be, and, and some yeah. Bentleys, too. So if you're looking yeah. for those, can you imagine a Bentley? You probably, it's not like there's bazillions of Bentleys coming in. Imagine your Bentley's oh. on order. You've been waiting forever. Like, yeah, we have an update for it's you. Fire. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to build it again. Could take a little time. <laughs> Sorry about your expensive car. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if you have uh, a story, it's my car burned down at sea. <laughs> yeah, this is my second try getting it. The first one burned first and in sunk the in the middle of the Atlantic. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then the other part of the question was would the dealership model even be necessary? Um, I think that I think that there we will continue to have dealerships, you know, as a place to, you know, take delivery of cars, get them serviced. Um, but you know what you'll probably see going forward is dealers will probably reduce their physical footprint. They won't have such huge lots full of cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like there's a dealer, there's a Ford dealer here in Ann Arbor that you know prior to um, the the chip shortage, they typically had like twelve, thirteen hundred cars in stock. On their lot at any at any time, and you know there was a, a story in Car and Driver last summer um, that they had I think um, at the time they had like thirty or forty cars on the lot. And wow! I remember driving past there a few days before that story was posted, and it was you know looking over and seeing it's like wow, there's like nothing there. Wow. Um, all right. Uh, next, Bryn Barenshausen asks, <clears throat> how has Mary Barra survived in her role? They've so dropped the ball on electrification. They've let the Bolt get too old before an update. They have a, they have a new platform that's taking forever to come to market. Have this <laughs> and have this monstrosity that gives EVs a bad name, referring to the uh, the Hummer. Um, what what do you think about Mary Barra and the way she's run GM? God, I think the okay. So Ultium, I think, is a good move. There's a lot of things that, that GM has done well. I think Ultium, like being out with Ultium before almost everyone else was great. But the sort of like just taking forever to put anything on that platform. And the Hummer EV is is really just a halo thing to like get people to look at them. 
um, you know, it's, it's really, you know, when you look at the Lyric and some other vehicles are going to be coming out, it, yeah, the, the Bolt took too long to update, and it's still the same. It's not on Ultium. Like, when we, they, we, well, we updated the Bolt. Yeah, it's still on the old platform. It still only right. gets, you know, 50 kilowatt charge, and you're like, what is happening? So I think there's, I think they're, they're just being sort of, yay, we're all about the future, but they're also being very um, conservative about sort of introducing vehicles and i think they're being too conservative when you look at what other automakers are doing just like sort of going all in as quickly as possible because the bolt beat the model 3 to market and yet we still don't have anything besides that from from them on well i mean i guess they have delivered like a couple giant delivered a few hummers yeah right and i don't you know i don't know like is it really rushing to market if you haven't gotten if you haven't figured out your I was going to say something. If you haven't figured things out yet, like in a way that you feel like what you're bringing to market is really going to work, is it better to rush it if for whatever reason it's taking them more time? Or is it better to just say, okay, we're just going to have to be a little bit behind the curve here and come out with something that when it comes out is going to knock the socks off of everything else? Like, are we just maybe, maybe we're going to be overly impressed when they do get their acting gear with some of this future promise stuff? And I do think that the the Hummer is just a it is just, a, it's, they're saying it's a brand. So, you know, not even like, but I think the Hummer brand, the Hummer there, it's just, it's a halo car. So make you say, oh, wow, look at this. This is cool. GM's doing this. They brought it back and it's cooler than ever because it's electric and it's the future. Oh, what are they buying building that I can actually afford? You know, I, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, we're, we're kind of in, you know, in this, say uncanny valley <laughs> kind of <laughs> mode right now, you know, where GM's promised all these EVs. They haven't actually built them yet, um, you know, and you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that is suddenly going to drop over the next 18 months. Um, you know, and if you ask if you ask me this, I th- overall, I think Mary Barra has actually done a really good job running GM. Yeah, you know, and they, you know, GM made a, a different strategic decision than Ford did. Uh, in terms of how they were going to go into EVs. They spent a lot of time developing all the underlying hardware, the batteries, the, the platform, the motors, the, everything else. And they've actually done some really good stuff that you know, is just starting to come to market now. Um, and you know, I think they're, you know, Ford took a little bit different strategy. They developed one platform for the Mach-E, and they decided to adapt existing vehicles with the e-transit and the f-150 to get them to market quicker um and you know long term which is going to be the better strategy uh, i don't know it, it's i think it's too early to tell you know i think when the silverado does arrive um you know especially you know with the the smaller battery you know more standard range versions you know i think it probably will have superior performance to what ford can get out of the f-150 but the F-150 is going to have, you know, an 18-month head start, almost yeah. two-year head start on when those variations of the Silverado get to market. And, you know, Ford is already working on the next generation, which is following more the path that GM took with the other one. So, you know, that next generation Lightning is not going to be that far behind when, you know, the Silverados arrive in force. Um, you know, I... I think, you know, GM has, you know, as a business overall has done very well. It's been very profitable under Mary Barra's leadership. You know, they, you know, they, they've done a lot of the foundational work that's going to be necessary for success. 
Um, and now they just have to deliver those products. And that's, that's the thing. I think a lot of people are getting frustrated at the, the lack of those products being in the marketplace. Yeah. If they, they do what they've promised and have cars like the, the Equinox EV and the Blazer EV, you know, out in the market, you know, in 2023 and the Lyric does well. And some of these other vehicles that they've shown us, they, they just teased out first, you know, first image of the headlights of a, a Buick electric crossover that's, that's coming out. That's supposed to be shown this summer. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of interesting stuff coming. It just, and it's all going to drop like seemingly all at once over yeah. the next 18 months. You yeah. wonder if all of a sudden there's just going to be this like boom, everything comes from them all at once. And we'll yeah. see whether that strategy was a better strategy or a worse strategy. And I don't think we really know. I mean, I, I don't they, think they, sh- they showed off an Equinox that everyone's excited about. No one's ever been excited about the Equinox. Right? <laughs> yeah. Ever. Right? No one's That's ever something said, right there. Yeah, like, there's Equinox. excitement around the Equinox. I'm sorry. What now? You know? <laughs> what? what, what, what? So yeah, I think it, I, I mean, when you look at, I think BMW was sort of in the thing where they had the i3 and the i8, and then nothing forever, and they're like, yeah, we're working on it, we're working on it, we're working. We're like, what are you doing? Why is it taking so long? And then you, and then I got into the i4 and the ix, and I was like, my God, these are amazing. Mm-hmm. And so they took their time to create like these really, really great EVs, and I'm, I'm hoping that's what GM is doing. Yeah, well. if what they deliver is 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 worth the wait, then it will have been worth it. If what yeah. they deliver is what other OEMs are delivering right now, then there's going to be some problems. And, you know, keep this in mind. Tesla was founded in 2003 by Martin Eberhard and Mark Tarpening. And no, nobody named Elon was around at the time. It took nine years from then for the Model S to arrive. And then another six years, 2012, five, five, five years after that for the Model 3. So you're talking 14 years from the you know, from when they started until the Model 3, which was their first really volume vehicle. So, you know, give GM a break. <laughs> yeah. There I mean, yeah. Give, I Mary, get, give Mary a break. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've expressed frustration at GM. I'm like, come on. Oh, yeah. But, you also know, they also, they're also, you know, they've also, they're, they're teaming up with Honda. I mean, if you should really be upset, it's <laughs> like, what the hell's going on in Japan? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Um, Bryn also asked, he, uh, he tweeted out, um, a, he retweeted uh, something, a picture that somebody else posted uh, that um, it was somebody standing in front of uh, a GMC Yukon. Um, actually, I think, I think that's actually a Sierra HD. It's not a Yukon. Um, and for reference, the, I'll, I'll include the, the picture in the show notes, uh, the tweet in the show notes. Um, he, the, the person standing in front of this truck is six foot one. And the hood, the top of the hood is nearly up to his shoulders. Um, and uh, Brent said, <clears throat> I consider these vehicles just as, if not more dangerous than Tesla's running beta FSD. Uh, the front end is of basically every pickup and SUV is now designed to be a pedestrian splatter zone. And, you know, I think he's right. This, this is a, a real problem. As vehicles have become larger and taller, um, it's, it's, you know, they are a huge risk to pedestrians. Um, well, yeah. they've essentially built billboards. They're billboards yeah. for brands, and instead of having like a nice slope, which you could totally have, there are these right angles. So because of the right angle, you know, the hood is straight, and then it drops off at a right angle. You don't have that sort of slope where you can see what's in front of you. Whenever I have to drive a big truck, I'm always like, well, I hope you know how far am I from the car in front of me? Three feet? Twelve feet? Who knows? I can't see the car anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm perpetually too far away from everything when I park those because I'm so afraid. 
I, I leave more space than I need to. It's like, oh, I could have pulled forward another five feet, but you can't see that. You have no idea how close you are to things. It really is hard to figure out. And, you know, over the last six, seven, eight years, um, you know, when we have seen an increase in traffic fatalities, uh, despite all the additional safety equipment we're putting on vehicles, if you if you look at the numbers in the um, fatal accident reporting system that NHTSA has, it turns out that most almost all of the increase was to pedestrians and cyclists. Um, the The number of people, uh, vehicle occupants that have died in crashes has gone down, but the number of pedestrians and cyclists dying has gone up. And I think that, this is a... Does that data break it down, though, by what kind of car, like pedestrian accidents it, involving it, trucks, it pedestrian does, accidents it, involving it, it a hatch? Does, well, like, you, you can drill down into that data to find out what kind of vehicles it's it's kind of hard to do hard to do but, okay i wasn't sure if but, it was easy but i mean if you look at the types of vehicles you know the you know the, the mix of vehicles we've got on the road you know it's it corresponds and you know obviously correlation is not causation but you know it does correspond with a dramatic increase in the number of suvs and trucks getting sold mm-hmm. um you know versus cars so you know i think i think that uh, clearly, you know, you do not have as much visibility when you're driving these big trucks and SUVs as you do, you know, driving in a, in a car. I mean, I sit in my Miata. I have full 360-degree vision, you know, from about three feet up. Uh, you know, so it's, you know, it's a, it's a very different kind of experience. Um, and, you know, definitely more people are getting hit uh, and killed by these larger vehicles. So it is, it, it really is a problem. Um, one last one that we have uh, that popped up while, while, while we've been recording uh, is from uh, Wes, uh, WWP2181. Um, do you wash your cars regularly or do you let the rain do it for you? Well, I, I, live, in, I live in California, yeah. so. So no rain for you. What's rain? Yeah. <laughs> um, I wash my car regularly even in the summer. I always have, I wash it once a week because in the summer it just gets covered with bug guts. And during the winter, it gets covered with ice. And in the winter, I always make sure I do an undercarriage wash because the the, the, the salt, salt and the the the, it's, the salt and whatever the stuff like were places where you can't use salt. And there's like a different chemical thing, like it's a chemical little cocktail they put on the roads. And even the dirt, oh my gosh, it gets all over everything. You feel like I just feel like it just eats the car. So yeah, I wash my car pretty much once every week. It gets a good little scrubbing. Yeah, I um, and I don't I don't wash the Miata that regularly. You know, maybe once a month because um, I don't drive it that much. Uh, but yeah, mostly you know when, when you're getting bugs and stuff like that splattered over the front of it. Uh, I mean, it does have a fairly small frontal area, so it's not that bad. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, you know, and and my wife's car, you know, probably gets washed a little more regularly than that. But also, both of them get parked in the garage. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't. You know, our cars are not. Yeah, the press cars are parked in the driveway, and our cars are parked in the garage. Um, so you know they don't get they don't generally get too filthy. Um, but yeah, we do wash them on a fairly regular basis. Uh, we wash our cars every few weeks, so they get pretty filthy. Um, but I have to wash a press car like every week for photo and video. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. I will be washing a car, and right next to me will be my BRZ, and it's just a mess because <laughs> you know is uh, there there we have a lot of pollen right now. So every like it's, every day you go out, the cars all have a layer of pollen on them. Yeah, um, we have a and, pollen season too. It comes yeah. right after mud season, then there's pollen season. Yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah, I don't wash them as much as I, I, I probably should, 
But uh, yeah, yeah, it's not. It, we yeah, I think mostly because the, I'm like, well, I'm washing this other car. You know, well, the, and, the the, pe- the people delivering the cars, um, you know, they wash them before they they bring them to me. And same. so what I do is I usually, um, you know, within a few hours after it arrives, I will take it even before I drive it. I'll take it and photograph it while it's still clean. Yeah. Um, you know, or if it's going to rain, you know, go out and shoot it, you know, before, before it rains. Um, so I get that out of the way. And then, you know, if I'm going to do anything else with it, you know, then I'll, I'll, I'll wash it again. Yeah, but that's the, the smart adult thing to do. I'm, I'm neither <laughs> smart nor an adult. I'm just a tall person. <laughs> He's and I'll giant. drive the card around, and then I'll be like, "Oh, I gotta take pictures." And it'll, <laughs> I've gotten and up at like, filthy. I've gotten up the other day. I had to get up at uh, six in the morning to wash the car in the dark to take photos of it <laughs> because I had not, even though I'd had it for a week, um, I had not taken pictures of it. That's awesome. So yeah, but I got some nice early morning pictures. But also, well, I so could have done off. that. I could have done that any time, but I did it the day they were picking the car up. <laughs> All right. Well, that's all we've got for this week. Uh, Thanks, everybody. And we will talk to you next time. See ya. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.